uh, brothers and sisters, uh, friends, can I encourage you to keep open in front of you that passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 um, on whatever device or gadget or other you might have in front of you as we uh, explore God's Word today. Um, as Montaz sort of asked me to do, just to sort of briefly update you on where I'm at and what I do, I'm, uh, I'm currently uh, working with City Light Church. Um, it's a church that's associated with an organisation called Acts 29. Uh, we, um, we have three churches here in Adelaide, one in Glenelg, uh, a plant out of there in North Adelaide, and then another plant uh, from Glenelg in Port Adelaide. Uh, Anchor Church, it's called. And um, at the moment, my role uh, is uh, on staff there. I um, have a sort of a, a mixed role in some ways. I'm kind of like one of the elders. I'm also um, doing some work with sort of community and connection. So helping us uh, reach people in the community with the good news of Jesus and then integrate them into the life of the church at City Light, uh, Glenelg in particular, and North Adelaide. And I'm also... Uh, I guess I'm in the shoot to be the lead elder of our church plants in North Adelaide, uh, which has been out without a pastor for a little while, and so that's my plan is to move into that role, uh, hopefully really soon. And so we've been working through the Acts 29 church planter assessment, which you probably have no idea what that means, um, but it's rigorous. Um, it's really trying to help us uh, get people who are who love Jesus, who love the church, and who want to see God's church uh, established, grown, and then plant again. Uh, we're all about planting churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. That's what we kind of do. So um, that's who I kind of am involved with. I'm married to Adele. Uh, we've been married for 16 and a half years. And we have three children, eight, five and t two almost. So, you know, life's a bit crazy. Um, and it's, you know, it's already crazy enough. But I mean, who else this last week or so has just been unsure of what day of the week it is? Um, it's kind of like Christmas, isn't it? Like where you kind of... Christmas falls on a whatever day it is, and then everything just feels like it's, I don't know, slow motion. And um, I, yeah, the other day I woke up and I was sure it was like Monday, but it was Friday. And, uh, you know, anyway, so it's a bit of a crazy time of the year. Um, but we're in the Word today. Um, I'm going to be back a few times across this year, and, uh, and uh, that's if this goes okay today, I suppose. But um, uh, the plan is to kind of work through some interesting passages of Scripture that actually speak about death and lament, actually, um, which is not, lament in particular, not something we talk about a lot, but um, I want to talk about those things to help us understand how to live well in this world that we're in at the moment. Um, but uh, let's get into it. Um, anyone across the last few days, across Easter and things like that, did you um, catch up with some old friends? Anyone catch up with old friends? Be reunited with some members of family, a few people that you haven't seen for a little while? I think being reunited with someone you love is um, one of the happiest experiences we can ever have. Um, you know, the familiar face, the, the reassuring embrace, that sort of their smell. I love smells. You know, when you meet that person, you go, yeah, I, I remember you, you know, hopefully in a good way, right? But that, that sort of reassuring, you know, it's great to be reunited with someone you love. But there are some separations and, and we know to our costs, which can last much longer. Um, I read a story on a blog some time ago um, of a Christian theologian who was on a plane flying to the eastern side of the United States. He got talking to the passenger who was sitting next to him, who happened to be a pastor. Um, over time, the conversation turned to family. Um, I'll read from the blog. This is what, we, what I read. 
The teacher told the pastor how he had recently lost his four-year-old son to a terrible illness. It began innocently enough when the child was sent home from school after developing a fever. At first, the parents thought it was a typical childhood illness that soon would run its course. But his condition continued to worsen and that evening they took him to the hospital. The doctors ran a battery of tests and told the parents the tragic news. Their son had a virulent form of meningitis and there was nothing they could do for him. The child was going to die. Loving parents did the only thing they could do, which was to sit with their son in a death vigil. It was the middle of the afternoon, only a few days after he had become sick, and the illness was causing the little boy's vision to fade. He looked up at his daddy and said softly, Daddy, it's getting dark, isn't it? The professor replied, Yes, son, it is dark. It's very dark. And for the father it was. The little boy said, I guess it's time for me to go to sleep, isn't it? The theologian explained how his son liked his pillow and his blankets uh, arranged just so that he lay his head on his hands while he slept. He told how he helped the child fix his pillow and how his little boy rested his head on his hands and said, Good night, Daddy. With that, the little boy closed his eyes and fell asleep. Only a few minutes later, his little chest rose and fell for the last time and his life was almost over before it began. The professor stopped talking and looked out the aeroplane window for a long time and with his voice breaking and with tears spilling onto his cheeks, gasped, I can hardly wait for morning to come. You know, as you hear that story, you know, do you dismiss it perhaps as, as wishful thinking of a grieving parent? Or could it be true, right? Could it be true that one day the long-hoped morning will actually come? Let's pray as we come to this part of God's Word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good Word. Father, we believe in the resurrection. Lord, help us by your Spirit, help our unbelief. Renew our hope in our Saviour Jesus today by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say up front, nothing in our human experience has the ability to raise questions like that of death. Now I have in mind today uh, not just questions of grief, they're real enough. You know, the the questions, why me? Why now? Um, Why this? Those questions are real and and powerful enough in the face of death, but there are other questions. And it seems to me even the most unreligious people find death when it comes close, not just tragic, it is that of course, but mysterious. And that's got to be part of the fear of death, isn't it? The fear of the unknown. What happens when I die? Now, even the, the boldest and the brashest of people who strut around the world, appearing that they are in control of absolutely everything, bring them close to death, bring them close to the death, their own death or the death of someone they love, and such a person is aware of a profound ignorance. I don't understand. And it's part, not the whole, of the experience of grief, the sense of not knowing. Those questions that come to mind at those times when we're grieving, 
They're strange questions that we actually don't think about at other times, right? But they're very real questions. Even if we don't articulate them, when we think about someone who might have died, are they okay now? Will I ever see them again? I wonder if he or she is looking down on me right now. Let me probably put it this way. It seems to me there's nothing in all of life that has the power to make us aware of our own ignorance more than death. Now, facing death and thinking about death has the power to do all sorts of things to us, right? But this morning, I want us to focus on this. We really don't know and we sense that we don't know what happens in the face of death. And that's why I find the opening line of the passage we just had read before from 1 Thessalonians 4 so striking. From 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, Paul writes this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Let me just tell you a little bit about the letter that Paul is writing at this moment, 1 Thessalonians, to this group of newish Christians actually in the city of Thessalonica back in the first century. This is one of Paul's early letters. We're actually at this point in chapter 4, it's the second part of this letter, tips over into this second section. And Paul begins the second section of this letter with verse 1 and 2. It's up on the screen. Here it comes. Yeah. Finally, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Paul goes on to remind them of the instructions that he'd given them that he kind of had passed on to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, which would help these young Christians know how to live a life that was pleasing to the God who'd saved them. He elaborates in this section on how the gospel transforms our sexual behavior, how the gospel transforms how we work. And now in the section we had read, he turns to death, the presence of death. How do we live in the face of death? of the death of those whom we know and love. It's possible, right, since Paul, um, you know, uh, that since Paul and others, you know, he, that he'd left the church, they'd been gone for a little while from Thessalonica, he might have been gone for weeks and months and that sort of stuff, possible in the space of that time that since he'd been gone that some people had kind of had died in the church, maybe. In any case, what Paul wants to stress is that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has the power to take selfishness out of sex. The gospel of Jesus has the power to take ambition at all costs out of our daily work. And here he says that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power even to take ignorance out of death. That's powerful. And what Paul shows us in verse 13 is if that happens, if we can remove the ignorance and misunderstanding about death, then the effect will be this. It's on the screen. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed, ignorant about those who fall asleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He's not saying, Christians, you're not to grieve. In this world... Grief and death, they, they come together. They will not be separated. Even the Lord Jesus, you might know this, when he found out that his dear friend Lazarus had died, he wept, he cried, he grieved. Of course we grieve. But Paul says, I don't want you to gr your grief to be ignorant. We don't want your grief to be without hope. It's interesting how he describes the grief of those sort of outside of this Christian group in Thessalonica. 
their grief is a grief that has no hope. Don't misunderstand me, right? It's not that the people who aren't in the church in Thessalonica didn't have thoughts about what happens to people when they die, um, life after death sort of things. Um, They had thoughts about what happened to people when they die. Plenty of ideas in Paul's world, just as there are plenty of ideas in our world today about what people think happens when someone dies. I believe this, I believe that happens, I don't believe this happens. You know, ideas ranging from when you're dead, you're dead, or to when you die, you are reincarnated and whatever else. They're ideas, they're ideas. Sometimes that's just wishes, wishful thinking, but they do not deserve the name hope. Hope is to be that of the believer's possession. Hope that is the hope of anyone who is in Christ or anyone who has died in Christ. Hope that is part of Christians' living and thinking and consciousness. Now, besides the Christian understanding, the rest of humanity has no hope. So what Paul is about to do in the rest of this passage is help readers and by the readers of the day, and by extension you and I here today at Living Word Church in Teachery Gully, he wants to help us this morning not be ignorant about death. It doesn't help any of us to be ignorant. He wants you to have hope, like real hope, to know real hope and to live real hope. But just note briefly as well, the description that Paul gives to those who die, those who fall asleep in death, those who sleep in death. Now, before I sort of did some work on 1 Thessalonians, I thought, wow, that must be just a really distinctive, exclusive phrase that the Christians used back in the first century AD. Surely it must have been the Christians who picked up this idea of falling asleep and that's just a wonderful thing. You know, rather than just saying they died... They went, no, they they slept. But actually, you can't say that. In fact, in the first century, there are plenty of references to people outside of the church saying that people, when they died, they they slept. I take it it's because of what it looks like when someone dies. When someone dies, it looks like the person is asleep, their eyes have closed. But the Christians picked it up, and I'm sure with greater significance, and it was certainly an appropriate way for Christians to speak about those who'd fallen asleep. Yes, they appeared to be asleep, but for the Christian, death is not the end of life. Death is not the end of life for the Christian. All the evidence of the New Testament that we have in our hands today is that when a follower of Jesus dies, they are with the Lord. We must hold that. That's the assurance of the gospel. So the sleep metaphor, it's it's simply a metaphor, but I think it's quite a wonderful metaphor. It communicates that, that death for the Christian is not the great fearful thing that the rest of men think it is. Death is not the end of life for the Christian. Amen? How will we cure our ignorance in the face of death? Well, in a profound yet simple way by teaching the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul does there in verse 14, up on the screen. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Who's from a Greek background here? There we are, Jim. Christos Anesti. Greek, it's Greek, it's Resurrection Sunday in the Greek church, yeah? And that's what we celebrated last week. For we believe, the gospel, that Jesus died and rose again. Paul reminds us 
He reminds them that at the very center of Christianity is this understanding that Christ Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross on Calvary 2,000 years ago, and then a few days later, he rose again. To be a Christian is not to be a person with a, a touch of religion in your life. We're not religious people. At least I'm not. To be a a Christian person is not to be a person who just turns up at church occasionally on Sunday mornings. We're not bums on seats kind of people. To be a Christian is not to be a person who's got, you know, adopted a certain set of moral values and works desperately to keep them in order to satisfy God. We're not legalists, no. To be a Christian person is to be a person who believes certain things about the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're Jesus people, gospel people. And here you have the heart of it in a nutshell. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. Now, do you believe that about him? Hands in the air. Do you believe that about Jesus, that he died and rose again? If you're here today and you you don't yet believe that Jesus died and rose again, I want to encourage you to, to stick around and talk to Montez or talk to the person who you've come with. I'm sure Montez has got some copies of the gospel lying around somewhere in this place. Get a hold of that, read it. Read about the person and work of Jesus in the gospel. Because Paul is saying, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you believe that, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that, do you realize what else you believe? Do you realize the consequence of believing that? Do you realize what you believe about those who've fallen asleep believing that? Verse 14 again. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so... There's a next bit coming. There we go. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. It follows. The one entails the other. Now, for many of us here this morning, I think the first bit's kind of easy. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Yep, amen. I believe that Jesus died and rose again for me. But do you believe that Jesus will come back and collect with him all those who have died in Christ to be with him forever? Do you believe that? Jesus will return. The next great event in human history is not my 41st birthday. I've just celebrated my 40th. It's not my 41st birthday. It's not the next Olympic Games. It sure as heck is not the federal election on May the 18th, although we want a good result there. But, you know, that's not the next great event. The next great event is Jesus coming back, of which our whole life has to be looking to and shaped by. He will return. And we ought to be reminded that that is really, 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 really fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. And he will bring with him all those who have fallen asleep in Christ. What about those? I mean, Jesus could come back this afternoon, right? I don't know if you've got a lamb roast on this today or, you know, you're looking forward to that. But he might come back before the lamb roast is just succulent and ready. What about those who are still alive? Verse, uh, what is it? Verse 15 on the screen. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, I wonder, if we just sort of take a breath for a second, I wonder if you're here this morning and you're going, whoa, like, I'm finding this a bit hard, Simon. This is a bit full on. It might be hard for a number of reasons. Maybe you're just struggling to keep up, I don't know. Maybe you're also here and you're, you yourself are grieving. 
that this is kind of acute for you right now. But I think for many of us, right, we're, we're really good as followers of Jesus, maybe, I'll put myself in this camp, of kind of separating faith from reality. Faith from reality. Many of us, you know, faith is what we talk about sometimes. It's, the, you know, it's, it's a thing we believe. We use that language a lot. But often can mean very little. We turn up at church, we, we, we sing some songs, we, we talk about these things of faith and belief and that sort of stuff, and then well, we go back to real life Monday through Saturday. You know, for many of us, I think, we, we think that the real world is the world sort of, you know, out there. The, the real world is where money is moved around. The real world is, you know, if you're into medical, that's the medical. The real world's the Monday to Friday stuff. If you're in finance, that's the real world. If you're in medicine, that's the real world. If you're in whatever, that's the real world. But it's not the real world. I mean, it exists, right? Out there, that's stuff out there. It's real. You know, the reality is that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a real human being who grew up in Nazareth of Galilee, who died a real death in our real world, who really rose again in our real world. And this real world and this real reality is where Jesus will return to when he is ready. These things will take place. So that the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just something we, we think about on a Sunday morning. It's got to transfer into all of our lives, into the real world 24-7. And so the death and resurrection of Jesus means that he is coming again. And all who belong to him, dead or alive at the time, will be brought by Jesus into God's eternal kingdom. And please note in verse 15 that Paul, in effect, is saying, Hey guys, this isn't my idea. You know that? According to the Lord's word, he says this. Maybe Paul has in the back of his mind, he's thinking, gee, I wouldn't make this thing up, you know. I don't think I'd get much mileage out of this if I'd be making it up. He says it's the Lord's own word. Do you believe the Lord's promises? Do you believe him? He, just as he died and rose again, so anyone in him, they too will Though they die, we'll rise again to be with him forever. He's coming back. In these final couple of verses, verses 16 and 17, Paul elaborates on what Jesus promises will happen. Before we have a look at them, just two quick comments. Um, this is real, what we're about to look at. It's coming. But at the same time, what we see on the screen, it's just so wonderful that the word pictures, I don't think, can exactly capture just how brilliant this is going to be. But let me read it. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Are they some of the most spectacular words you could ever imagine? said to someone just before, my plan is that when I die, um, at my funeral, I'm going to have 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 18 read out and preached. I've got my songs ready as well. Um, just need to find a band and a place to do it, you know, but someone else can sort that out for me. But these are just extraordinary words. You know, magnificent. Three magnificent realities that we see here. Firstly, the return of Jesus. 
The Lord himself will come down from heaven. The personal return of Jesus is a fundamental expectation of Christian people like you and me. How will it happen? I don't really know for sure. It lies beyond our experience. You know, like the creation of the world, I don't know exactly how God created the world, but I know that he did it. I know that. And that he will return, that I know. You need this knowledge, brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to know this deep in your bones and in your soul. Why? Or else you're going to grieve like those who have no hope. Jesus is going to return. Second, see that? The, resurre- the resurrection of the dead. The dead in Christ will rise. Now again, it's foolish to imagine how this will happen and get all perplexed on all the details. The simple fact is that God has done resurrection before. He can do it again, yeah? He raised Jesus. He'll raise everyone who belongs to Jesus. And that makes an enormous difference to your life. And if I'm not conscious that those who die in Christ will rise when he comes back, then we will just grieve like those who have no hope. And then thirdly, The wonderful picture in verse 17 that lies at the heart of what it is. I call it the reunion of us all. Again, it would be a mistake to press the details here. But what we are to do is to see that the day is coming when we'll be together again. With the Lord forever. I love that little detail as well. I haven't highlighted it in yellow. I probably should have. But to that, you know, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. You know, we remembered just a few days ago at Easter that on the cross, Jesus disarmed all the enemies of God. They just laid down their weapons as Jesus triumphed over sin and evil and Satan once and for all. We know that we now live in this time where um, sin and its impact and death and curse is still around and hasn't kind of gone altogether and we still suffer those consequences. Um, Broken relationships, broken bodies. But one day is coming when all of those things, the broken relationships will be reunited, when our broken bodies will be transformed into bodies that are fit to take on the world eternally. It's going to be wonderful. But I love that little phrase. When Jesus comes back, he's going to gather up those and and meet us together in the air. And when you read the scriptures, the air is often considered the domain of Satan. And I love the fact that what was going to happen, Jesus is going to defeat Satan and crush him on his patch. And we're going to be united together there. I love it. Three things we see the return of Jesus, that's the next big event in world history. We're going to be resurrected from the dead, ready for the new creation. And thirdly, there will be this reunion of us all. Paul then finishes this, last, this section with this wonderful last verse, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. Are you encouraged? That's, I mean, that's what Paul is wanting. He wants us just to see this is the hope we have. Just as Jesus died and rose again, so anyone in him will rise again and be with him forever. And it's not just a hope that we have for the future. It's a hope that transforms the present. And I want us to be a, a group of Christians who, who encourage each other with these words. 
When life is hard, encourage each other with these words. I reckon on the plane that day when that theologian was sharing with the pastor about the tragedy of his son and hoping for that new morning, I'm not sure exactly how the conversation concluded, but I reckon a potentially wonderful way to do it would be to sort of read these words from 1 Thessalonians 4. That Jesus died and rose again. And anyone in him, they too, though they die, will rise again to be with God forever. And that that father and that son will see one another again. The morning will come. Brothers and sisters, let us continue to keep trusting Jesus and clinging on to this hope that we've been given in him. Encourage each other with these words. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your very great promises. Uh, We praise you that Jesus uh, died and rose again. And Father, we thank you that you'll do it again, uh, bringing all those who have fallen asleep in him together forever. Father, would you by your spirit take from us that dark ignorance that causes us to grieve with no hope. Father, shine the light of the gospel into our hearts. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I believe we're going to sing one more time. We're going to sing the song, Our God, as we remember the gospel and how it impacts our lives as well. I forgot to mention as well, just as the band comes up, um, I turned 40 about two weeks ago. Oh, no, I don't look 40, do I? Yeah. Um, I, and uh, we decided... Oh, for it's not worth going into, uh, decided to delay kind of the party for my 40th and, uh, and uh, until yesterday. So we had a big party at our house yesterday and so on and so forth. It was great. Got all these great presents and things like that. One present I got was this, a cross lotto ticket. Um, and uh, there was this moment actually where I thought, I woke up this morning and went, oh, I can't wait to go to the service station and see how much money I've won. Um, <laughs> Because maybe, maybe I don't have to do this pastoring thing anymore because I'll, you know. And uh, I kind of, there was a moment actually where I had to check myself and go, maybe I'm putting all my hopes in this ticket. And I was reminded actually as I drove here this morning that our hope is not in Cross Lotto. Our hope is not in our health. Our hope is not in our family, our relationships. Our hope is in God, Um, our God, who has laid down his life for us, taken it up again. And in him, we get to live life forever.